Good morning, church. I love and appreciate you so very much, whether you're here in person participating in our worship or you're watching online. I love you. We love you. And it's that, that love, the love of the church that we're going we're gonna to talk about this morning. Uh, but before we do, I want to reiterate something that Mark announced earlier, and that's our men's retreat this weekend. Men, I, I, I really, really want to encourage you uh, to be part of that, if, if at all possible. Um, not only is it a great time of just being together and sharing our fellowship and getting to know each other better, uh, but my friend Paul Shero is going to be our, our speaker uh, this weekend, and Paul has been preaching for the Southgate Congregation in San Angelo for 45 years, so he has a lot of experience and wisdom, and besides that, he's one of the funniest guys that I know. He can tell a story, and I promise you, I promise you, you will enjoy that time together. So if you can make it, men, I hope that you will, I hope that you will consider joining us uh, this weekend for that retreat. I heard a story about a, a lumberjack who was asked, if you had five minutes, just five minutes to cut down a tree, how would you do it? And he said, I would spend the first two and a half minutes sharpening my axe. When we deal with a challenge, when we deal with something that's difficult, it's not just how we deal with it, it's also how we prepare to deal with it. Now, I'm no, I'm no fortune teller, I don't know what the future holds, but I suspect that if the past is any indication, then this church family, as well as every church family, is going to be dealing with challenges in the future. Do you agree with that? I think we're going to deal with challenges in the future. And I don't know what those challenges will be. I don't know when they'll get here. I don't know what they will be. I don't know how hard or how difficult they will be. But I know that this is axe sharpening time, right? This is the time to sharpen our axe. This is the time to prepare for whatever challenge comes next. And I just kind of want us to sit with that thought for just a second. There is a challenge coming. For you personally, sure, absolutely, you're going to have challenges in your life. But together, as a church family, we are going to have to face challenges. Maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. I don't know when and I don't know what they will be. But I know that as a church family, this is the time to sharpen our axe. This is the time to prepare for that challenge. And all of us, Every single one of us, regardless of your age, regardless of, of what role you have, all of us have a role in helping to prepare the church for whatever challenge comes next. And our, our story this morning, our text this morning, is all about how the Apostle Paul was helping to prepare the church in Ephesus, specifically the elders. He gathered the elders together, and he was helping to prepare them for the challenges that they were going to face. He... He loved, he loved the church at Ephesus. He loved those shepherds. He loved those elders. He had worked with those men for years. He had been in Ephesus for years and had preached there and had taught there and had worked there and had served there and ministered there. He knew them and he loved them. And this was the last time, the very last time that he was going to see these elders. 
And he knew that very challenging times were coming, and so he was helping to prepare them for the challenges that they were going to face. Now, as we read this story and as we talk about this text, I want us to think about how this is relevant for us. What challenges are we going to face? And are we preparing to face those challenges? Look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 18. When they came to him, when they came to Paul, Paul said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Now, Paul begins this this instruction, this preparation for what's coming next by, by telling them, hey, you remember how I worked with you. You remember how I lived. You remember what I did. So, He's telling them to follow his example. Follow his example. Do what I did. Because if you're going to face these challenges, this is how you're going to have to continue to operate. And remember my humility. And, and humility for a Christian is much more than just not being arrogant. We're going to come back to that in a second. But I want you to remember that. I want to plant that seed. Humility for a Christian is much more than just don't be arrogant. And Paul says, you remember my humility? You remember how I served with humility? You remember how I had trials and how I had tears? Why? Because those things are going to continue to be the case. You're going to continue to have trials. You're going to continue to have tears. And when you do, remember how I operated when I was with you. Verse 20, how I did not shrink. I like that. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He, He says this a couple of times in this speech to these elders, I did not shrink. I didn't shrink. I didn't hold anything back. I didn't hide anything. I wasn't cowardly. I didn't didn't keep anything and say, ah, I don't know if I should say that. How are they going to react if I say that? How how are they going to take that? I told you everything, regardless of if people would like it or not. I told you the truth. I told you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I told you everything that you needed to hear. And here's how he sums it all up. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, right there. That's it. That's the whole thing. Repentance toward God. And I love that. Repentance toward God. We tend to think about repentance in terms of repenting from, and it is that, but it's also toward. Repentance is turning from sin, but it's also turning toward God. It's making a a turn in our lifestyle. It's changing our mind and changing our life. And he said, you remember how I taught you to turn not just from sin, but turn toward God, repent toward God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is about loyalty allegiance, trust. This is the whole thing. This is everything we are to believe and everything we are to teach and everything we are to do. And if we are going to face the next challenge, this is it. This is how we face it. Repentance toward God and faith, trust, allegiance, loyalty, commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22. 
And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That that, my friends, that, my brothers and sisters, that is Christian humility. That's Christian humility. Christian humility is, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. That's Christian humility. Christian humility is what Paul says to the Galatian churches. And he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Or what he says to the Philippian church. You remember, do you remember how much... Paul had going for him before he became a follower of Jesus. He was educated. He had a great education. He had a great career. He was very ambitious. He was very zealous. Other people looked at him and said, that's the kind of young man that people need to be like. And then he became a follower of Jesus. And he said, all that that I had before, my pedigree, my resume, is trash. It's trash. It's rubbish. And he says here, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen to me, except I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be afflicted. I'm going to be oppressed. There's going to be horrible things that happen to me. I don't know exactly what's going to come of it, but I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. What I want, what I'm pursuing, what I love, what I find valuable is the mission of Jesus. The mission that he's given me. Is that the kind of life that you're living? Is that the kind of life that we applaud? Is that the kind of life that we are encouraging our young people to pursue? Are we encouraging them to pursue a life that says the mission of Jesus comes first? The mission of Jesus comes first. Tell people about what? The gospel of the grace of God. The good news about God's gift. That's that's what's important. Are we encouraging our young people? Go into all the world and tell people about God's grace. Go to dangerous places. Go to places where you won't have much money. Go to places where you might get arrested. Go to places where you might die. Are we applauding this kind of life that says, I don't consider my personal life of any personal value to me. Where my life has value is where it's aligned with the mission of Jesus to tell people about God's wonderful grace. And and this is the kind of lifestyle that Jesus tells all of his followers to adopt. Take up your cross and follow me. This is Christian humility. This is what it looks like. A life that isn't pursuing fame and fortune and riches and all the things that the world tells us are important and to pursue. A life that says, I want to tell people the good news about God's grace about God's gift, 
about what God has done for the world, about what God has done through Jesus? Are, are we as parents, am I as a dad willing to encourage my boys and to say, yes, son, go, go wherever, wherever you can go and do whatever you can do to share the good news of Jesus because that's what is of great value and importance. Look at verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink, there it is again, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the kind of playing on a theme that we find in Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel 33 about how a messenger, if God gives a message to a person to say, go tell people, go warn people, go tell people what's coming, go warn people to turn from their sin and turn towards me, towards God. When God gives that message to a messenger, if he doesn't tell people, if he doesn't tell people, you're in danger. You have to stop doing this. You're in danger. You have to repent. If he doesn't share that message with them because he's afraid of what might happen, then their blood is on his hands. But if he tells them, if he tells them the whole truth, if he shares with them the whole counsel of God, whether they change or not, whether they repent or not, whether they listen or not, their blood is on their own head. But if he doesn't share with them, then he's guilty of their blood. So Paul is saying, I'm innocent of everybody's blood. Why? Because I told you the truth. Some of y'all didn't like it. Some people rejected it. Some people wouldn't listen, but I told you everything God wanted you to know. Now, again, why is Paul telling these elders in Ephesus, remember how I operated, remember what I did, because now he's passing the baton to them. And now he's saying, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Don't shrink back. Don't be cowards. Tell people the truth. Because if you don't tell people the truth, if you don't share with them the whole counsel of God, then their blood is on your hands. But if you tell them the truth, if you share with them the grace of God, if you share with them the whole truth, if you share with them what God wants them to know, then whether or not they listen, not shrink back. Look at verse 28. He kind of transitions to giving instruction now. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, or that he obtained with the blood of his own. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Watch your own life. Don't, don't fall into temptation. Don't fall away. And pay careful attention to the flock, to the flock, to the church, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for them. And that word care for them is shepherd them. Shepherd them like a shepherd does with sheep. Give them food. Feed them. Watch out for them. Protect them. Love them. Love them. Because this church that Paul's talking about, 
And this church at McDermott Road and the church universal around the world, there, there is no way in the world to overstate how much God loves the church. There's no way to overstate it. He gave the blood of his own to obtain church. And Paul loves the church. And he wants these elders to love the church. To love the church like God loves the church. And don't you know that if if Paul was talking to you this morning, he would want you to love the church like God loves the church. Do you love the church like that? Do you recognize and embrace this truth that there's no way to overstate how much God loves the church? Oh, I know the church can be hard to get along with sometimes. Paul knew the church was hard to get along with sometimes. Paul experienced the good, bad, and the ugly of the church. But Paul loved the church because he knew that God loved the church. And he wanted these elders to love the church. And God wants you to love the church. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Love the church when they're acting the way they're supposed to and when they're not. Love the church because God loves the church. Look at verse 29. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, among your own selves will arise men after them. And he was right. He was right. That's exactly what happened in Ephesus. False teachers came in. When Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy was the evangelist in Ephesus, wrote to Timothy about how to deal with these false teachers. And that continues to be the case. There's never been a time where there hasn't been people speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. And we have to be on guard and realize that that's always the case. Look at verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish, listen, admonish everyone with what? With tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, I admonished you. I admonished everybody. What's admonish mean? It means warn. I warned people. And when I warned you, I, I warned you with tears. I mean, he could, he could get right with you, couldn't he? And tell you what's what. And tell you where you're going wrong and what you need to change. But he did so with tears. You knew how much he loved you. And again, Paul's saying, follow my example. Admonish. Admonish with tears. Admonish with tears. And now he says, I'm turning you over to God and to the word of his grace. To the message of his grace. That, right there, if you want to be prepared for whatever challenge comes next, hold fast to the message of his grace. That, that is the foundation of everything we are and everything we have. God's grace. 
And if we're afraid to tell people about God's grace, then we ought not to admonish them or tell them to repent or say anything else because this is the foundation of everything that builds us up and strengthens us is the message of God's grace. Hold on to that. You want to be prepared for what comes next? Then hold on to God and to the word of his grace. Be saturated with that message. I think it's important for us to kind of step back here for a second. Because not only does Paul give this message to Ephesus, later, years later, maybe decades and decades later, Jesus would send a message to Ephesus through John the Revelator in the book of Revelation. And he would, he would say, you know what? You got the whole looking out for false teachers thing? You got that handled pretty well. You're pretty good at looking out for false teachers. But here's the problem you have. You've left your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Oh, you're good at saying so-and-so is a false teacher, and you're right, so-and-so is a false teacher. And you're right to stand up against that false teaching, but you lost your love. You lost your love, and without your love, you're wrong. You're wrong. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how good you are at spotting heretics. If you lose your love, you've lost your soul. If you've lost your love, what good is it? And Jesus tells the church at Ephesus, repent, repent, and get back to the love you had at first. Here's what Paul says in verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said, remember my example. I, I coveted, I craved, I desired nobody's silver or gold or apparel. I didn't want that stuff. Because the best way to be unprepared for the challenges that come is to be greedy and selfish. If you're greedy and selfish, there's no way you're going to be prepared for what comes next. You cannot crave, you cannot desire, you cannot covet gold and silver and fine apparel. You've got to work hard. You've got to work hard and help the weak, the poor, the needy, the sick, help them. This is how we're prepared for what comes next. In fact, let's kind of break down and summarize some of the things Paul said so far. Preparing for challenging times ahead. Here's what it looks like. Here's some things. Number one, hold fast to God and the good news of his grace. That's how we're prepared for what comes next, isn't it? Hold fast to God and to the good news, the message of his grace. He loves us. He gave the blood of his own to obtain us. We are forgiven. We are sanctified. We are saved. We are loved. Hold on to that message. Be saturated in that truth. Number two, watch out 
for false teachers, those who preach twisted and perverse things to draw away followers to themselves. Number three, don't shy away from declaring the whole counsel of God, not just the things you like, right? There, there are things that we, we like to think, we like to say, we like to be reminded of, we like other people to say to us. We all have itching ears and things we want to hear, but we need the whole counsel of God. Amen. And we need to not shy away from declaring and hearing and teaching and holding fast to the whole counsel of God. Number four, when you must admonish, do so with tears. There's going to be times when you need to warn each other, when you need to rebuke each other, when you need to share with one another this path you're on, it's harmful. This path you, you're on, it's self-destructive. And when you do so, make sure they know how much you love them. Don't admonish anybody you haven't wept over. Don't admonish anybody you haven't prayed for. Number five, do not desire, do not covet, do not crave silver, gold, or apparel. Number six, work hard. And number seven, help the weak. Isn't that the kind of thing that Paul was telling the elders at Ephesus to do to prepare for what he knew was coming next? You and I don't know what's coming next for us, but these kinds of things will help you and I to prepare for whatever is coming next. And you have a role to play in that. All of us can participate in these seven things. Listen to the end of the story, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. God loves his church. God gave the blood of his own son to obtain the church. Paul loved the church. Paul wanted the church to love one another. Jesus wants the church to love one another. Do you love the church? Do you love the church the way Jesus wants you to love the church? Or how about this question? In what ways are you helping prepare the church for the next challenge. We're not talking about just theoretical things. We're talking about what are you, what are you personally doing to help prepare the church for the next challenge? We all believe there's a next challenge coming. If we live to see tomorrow, there will be a next challenge. Are you helping prepare the church? In what ways are you helping to prepare the church? In, in every congregation I've ever seen, this has been the case. In every congregation, this has been the case. There's been some people that are doing a ton, a ton for somebody else. I mean, come on, you, you need to take a break every now and then. Some people that are just doing so much to help prepare the church for the next challenge that they'll face. And then there's other people that are doing some that are there, that are giving, that are participating to some degree, but they could do more. 
Sometimes they could do a lot more. And then there are others who really aren't doing anything, who are far more concerned with their own finances and life and career and education and whatever they've got going on in their life, and they're just doing their own thing, and they're really not doing anything to help prepare the church for the next challenge. And I don't know which category you fit into, but you do. You might be one that you're doing a lot. In fact, you may need to take a little breather every now and then. And you might be doing some, but you could do more. And you may not be doing much, if anything at all. And so the encouragement would be do, do something. Take a next step. Because you have a role to play in helping to prepare the church for the challenge that's coming next. God loves the church. Jesus loves the church. And Jesus wants you to love the church the way he loves the church. And the only way we will be prepared for whatever is coming next is if you and I both play our role in helping to prepare the church. Maybe you're here this morning and you're ready to receive the grace of God, to, to be saved by his wonderful grace, to be purchased by the blood of Jesus, to be part of his people. Maybe you're ready to be baptized into Jesus. Maybe you need to repent towards him, turn away from other things and turn towards him. Maybe you just need prayers, encouragement, restoration. We are here for you. Our shepherds, our elders are here for you. They'll meet with you in the prayer room after service. But right now, the invitation is yours as together we stand and sing.